You're listening to VO Stories, Episode 103. Hi, I'm Tina Zaremba, voiceover talent, mentor, and good old-fashioned storyteller. I believe we all have a story to tell. We can all learn from one another. I created this podcast for you, the VO artist, who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. Hello, friends. Happy, happy Thursday. Here we are again. And it's new month, so we're talking about tech, tech, gear, what you need for your studio setup. And today's guest, he wears many different hats. He's an owner of a studio. He's a audio engineer, talent, voiceover talent, and a teacher. So much more. I'm referring to the lovely John McLean. We're going to be talking about levels. What the heck are levels anyway? How to properly set one up. The difference between soundproofing, sound control, and way more. So, without further ado, here's our chat. John, thank you so much for joining me. Why don't you tell folks where in the world you are today and what a typical day is like in your world? Uh, okay. My name is John McLean. I own and run the Dog and Pony Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. And what's a typical day like? Holy cow, man. Every day is different, which is one of my absolute favorite things about this business. We've been kind of quiet this week, which has been really nice because right up through Christmas last year, we were just absolutely slammed with work. We got a little bit of a lull. It starts back up in earnest next week, but it's been great because we've had a couple of weeks to map some things out and plan some things and start a couple of other projects that have been on the back burner. Um, so a typical day is if there's a client booking, those are the obvious things that we do. But if there's not a client booking, we have a multitude of projects that Dog and Pony is working on from the development of sound effects libraries to voiceover work. I, I also am a voiceover talent. I also do tech work for voice talent. I also teach a class in the power of audio, the UNLV School of Film. So there's a lot going on. Nice, nice, nice. So why don't we dive into the world specifically of voiceovers and tech? And you mentioned that you teach a class. What are the high-level points that you teach to your students when it comes to voiceover and tech? Well, one of them is admittedly kind of pedantic, but I think it's very important that they at least understand the difference between soundproofing and sound control within their recording space. And what uh, is that for those that don't well, know? Well, soundproofing is the term that we all use when we hang acoustic foam on the wall. We, we tend to call it soundproofing, but soundproofing is actually creating a space that is soundproof and keeps the outside world out. And what one of the big misunderstandings out there is that you could put foam on the insides of your walls and it would help stop your neighbor's leaf blower. But that's absolutely not true. The only way to soundproof is to build mass into your space. A second set of walls, a hard ceiling, a floated floor. These are the things that soundproof your space. And soundproofing is costly and time-consuming. 
Sound <laughs> treatment is the control of the audio within your space, keeping any nasty reflections from getting into your recording. We all know what it sounds like when we when we talk or sing in the bathroom, and it's very reflective and echoey. And any room is kind of reflective and echoey. And so sound treatment is controlling those reflections to make just a natural sounding space, not too dead, but not too live. So what do you feel is the most important aspect of a home studio for someone who's just getting started and they don't want to invest a ton yet in this business because they don't even know if it'll be a business for them? 100%. The number one most important thing for any voice talent is their space the space they record in. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, there's a lot of ways to handle that. If you have a walk-in closet full of clothes that gives you a little bit of room to move around so that you can actually act in front of the microphone, you are you're off to the races. That's the easiest way to initially start a home studio. And if any of my clients have a walk-in closet like that, that's my first recommendation is to set that up and get it rocking in there. You know, I've got clients who have built a simple PVC moving blanket structure within the quietest space in their house, and that helps to control the reflections in the room and give them a nice sounding space. It doesn't do anything if the neighbor fires up their leaf blower, and you have to be aware of that, but it's a good way to get started. What do you think are the three number ones that you would, three number ones, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the top three technical requirements for someone starting out? Your space, mm-hmm. dialing in your technical abilities in regards to how to set a proper level for your read. And mm-hmm. third on the list is the gear itself. Do you think you need to invest a lot in gear or? Uh, no, no. It, it's, it's so crazy. I, we call it the democratization of the tools. You know, it, it was not that long ago that a, a good piece of gear cost well in excess of $10,000. And now you can get a, a killer little interface and a microphone and a workstation and a computer for well less than $10,000. And some really great names are coming out with small interfaces. One of the best names in the business, Solid State Logic, just announced a small $200 interface at the NAM show in Anaheim at the beginning of January. And they're known for gear that is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes. And for them to put out a little interface like this speaks volumes to the market that's available to them. And, uh, and really, uh, the gear that we're seeing come out and the price we're paying for it, it, it's extraordinary. Yeah, no, I agree. It blows my mind within the last 10 years, the price point drop that we've seen. Do you have a favorite interface that you recommend to talent? I normally recommend the Steinberg UR22 Mark II because they, to my ear, were the first company to put a really great preamp inside an inexpensive interface. It's the same price as the uh, Focusrite Scarlett 2i2, which a lot of talent like, but a a much better sounding mic preamp. Uh, My one complaint about the Focusrite 2i2 is to get a good level out of it, you've got to turn that box quite a ways up, like two or three o'clock on the dial. 
And, and that's, that's quite a bit for a decent level. Whereas uh, in comparison, the Steinberg device is more like 12 or one o'clock for a good level. But uh, again, now we've got an SSL device out. It's not on the market yet. I ordered one. As soon as uh, it comes out, I'm going to do a review of it. And another company that makes devices that a lot of people really like is a company called Audient. And they just came out again at NAM with a couple of small interfaces that are like 99 bucks. And uh, one of them is re- I'm really curious about because it claims to be able to automatically set gain. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, uh, I've reached the point in my career where I'm, I'm never going to say that this AI stuff doesn't work, but I'm really curious to see it in action. So as soon as that becomes available, I'll probably get one of those too. So talk a little bit about levels, because some people might not understand what exactly that is and why it's important to understand it. Sure. So as a studio that hires voice talent and, and cast voices, one of the most frustrating things we can run into is when a talent sends an audition, but the level isn't set correctly. We're going to have to gloss over a lot of stuff, but basically every space has a noise floor. And your noise floor and the level you set for your recording are married to one another. So if you turn, after you record, if you turn the gain of the audio file up, the noise floor comes with it. So what we see often from newer voice talent is a level that's set too low. And maybe it's 10 or 15 dB too low. So when we want to send the audition out to the client, we obviously want the level of the audition to match all the other auditions. But if we turn their level up 10 or 15 dB, their noise floor also comes up 10 or 15 dB. So what talent need to learn and understand is that in an ideal world, they're running an average level on their meter of right around minus 20, which is the equivalent of zero back in the analog days. But they also have to understand that it's not an exact science because if they're a particularly dynamic reader, their average level is going to be a bit lower than that because their peaks are going to be higher. But if you happen to be more of a subdued reader, your average level is going to be higher than that. And that's okay too. So it's, it's not an exact science. You're, you're not stuck in this situation where if you're not right on 20, it's problematic. Some people are going to be at minus 15 and other people are going to be at minus 25 or even minus 28. A lot of talent can seem to get stuck on the idea of peak level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and especially from people who live and work in the audiobook world where the peak level, I think it's minus four or minus three is the max allowed on Audible. But the problem there is if you aim for peak level, you're probably going to record lower, especially if you are a dynamic voice talent. And peak should be your the, the only concern you should have in regards to peak is whether or not you're hitting zero and therefore distorting. In the world of audio, setting a level is known as gain staging. And there's there are a couple of different types of gain staging. One is when you're recording, but the other one is when you're mastering that audition or that read and outputting it. And you shouldn't be concerned about your peak levels if you're recording for books, for instance, until the output gain staging. You can always run a light compressor and bring those peaks down into spec for audible, but you should record with the best level you can get. And that might put your peaks at minus one. And there's nothing wrong with that. You just, then when you're mastering, you bring those peaks down. 
So someone is completely new to the voiceover world or they're not familiar with technology at all. How would they get their interface? How would you suggest to them they ensure that they've got the right level? Is it hiring someone like yourself and doing a Zoom session or? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that they should hire somebody like myself or, uh, you know, a George Whittem or a or a Roy Yokelson, they should get a lesson in how to properly set a level. Of course, if you're based here in Las Vegas, you've got the voice actor studio available to you. And we offer multiple classes in uh, tech and how to get set up properly. You need to do some learning, as they say. Is there a particular site that you like that someone can go to to get the ABCs to understanding levels in tech? There's not one I'm aware of, although there is a really great YouTube channel by a gentleman. I forget his name, but the YouTube channel is called Booth Junkie, B-O-O-T-H, Junkie. Oh, I like that. Okay. Uh, J-U-N-K-I-E. And he's got some really fantastic videos on there covering a lot of this stuff. And then uh, I would say, you know, look out for upcoming uh, videos from both the Voice Actor Studio and Dog and Pony on how to do some of this material. Brilliant. What's more important, the level or the microphone, or to understand both? Uh, the level is more important. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Look, microphones are like clothing. Um, <laughs> what you like on you and what looks good on you doesn't necessarily look good on me. And I've, I've got voice talent who record on a $3,000 Neumann U87, and they sound fantastic. And I've got voice talent who record on $250 Rode NT1A, and they sound fantastic. And they both book national work. So it, it's really more about how it sounds on you than it is about you know, what the group thinks says is the best microphone for the job. When you reach a, a point in your VO career where you've dialed in your space and you've dialed in your read and you're regularly booking jobs and you've got a lot of experience, then I do believe that the these um, incremental changes, these these like one percent improvements that you make by upgrading your preamp or your interface or your uh, microphone, they do make a difference at that level. But if you're starting out, no. And everybody very quickly gets to about 80 to 85%. And all of the sweat in getting to the top tier of voiceover happens in 1% increments in that last 10 to 15% climb to the top. Are there certain mics that you feel work best for males versus work best for females? I, I used to say no, and this goes back... 25 years, but we one mic that we used at a studio that I worked at in Detroit for voiceover was the AKG4. Oh, you worked in Detroit? I did. Where? I'm from Michigan originally. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, Ann Arbor. Shout out to the Mitten oh, State. Did you live I, in Michigan? I did. I did. My dad was an officer in the Marine Corps, and uh, he got assigned to the Detroit area to build an armored vehicle for the Marine Corps. And I met my wife there. She was born and raised in Roseville, Michigan. Ah, oh, cool, cool. Sorry to yeah. go off on that tangent. No, but no, that's microphones. Cool. Which one do you feel is you know best suited for a male or a female? Or what's your thoughts around that? Um, so I think it has more to do with the tonality of the voice than the gender. 
Yeah. So like I, I am a big fan of the, the very open and clear sound of the AKG 414, for example. But mm-hmm. I have found, especially on deeper males, I'm, I'm not a fan of the sound of that microphone on them. Whereas mm-hmm. I, I like it on women, but, but if it's a thinner voice guy like myself, you know, I, I would describe my voice as kind of a reedy as in, you know, like the reed on a wind instrument. I think I sound okay on that microphone. It, it just depends. I'm a firm believer in trying out different microphones on people and seeing which one is the best. And if you're a voice talent, I, I think you should try out some different microphones. You, you, you've really got to find a couple that work well for you. And, and, and it's ultimately it's a couple, you might start out with one mic, but you know, within a, if you're doing, if you're making money in the voiceover business, then you're, you're going to want to have two, three, four mics at your disposal. Yeah. You know, I went to, there's a place here in New York, which why can't I think of the name? They have a whole city block. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Thank you. And I went and I thought I was going to invest in a Neumann and I tried it out. And the reason why I, I should not have said female, male tonality is where it's at. I thought it would sound, you know, oh, the Neumann is the gold standard. That's what you should get. And it really did not work with my vocal tone at all. Yeah, it, it's, it's all in the tonality. I, a, an example for this is uh, I've, I've got a friend. He's based in Florida and he records cars and guns and vehicles other all types of vehicles military vehicles for triple a games and movies uh, mm-hmm. he recorded all the cars for the movie baby driver so i was talking to him and he sent me an i was talking to him about voiceover mics and he sent me an article that he had done for uh road microphones mm-hmm. and it was I, I can't think of the name of the game studio they're based in europe and they were doing i think it was battlefield or um Call of Duty, one of the big RPG military games. And they were using the typical voiceover mics, the the Neumann U87, et cetera. And they got a hold of a microphone by road called the K2. And it's a a tube-based, or the Brits would say valve-based preamp on this microphone. And they switched all their voiceover recording to this mic. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to try one of these out. So I called my guy at Sweetwater and he sent me one. And I really like the way it sounds on me. So I kept it. And I did an audition for another production house that I do some voiceover work for. And the owner called me on the phone. And the first words out of his mouth were, oh, you finally broke down and bought a U87. (laughs) And I said, no, it's actually a $700 road K2. And then both of us went on and had this long conversation about how the tools are getting better and cheaper all the time. And, and it just goes wow. to show, it, to, to his ear, that $700 microphone on my voice, he thought it was a Neumann U87. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. You're right. It, microphones are like clothing, and it's just finding what fits for your voice. So mm-hmm. as far as recording platforms, whether it's Pro Tools, Audacity, Twisted Wave, do you have a, one that you lean towards or recommend to people who are new entering the business? I recommend Reaper to everybody. Reaper? I don't know yep. that. So Reaper is a really cool little digital audio workstation. It's fairly new on the scene in terms of how long some of the workstations have been around. Price-wise... For a voice talent, you can get into it for a little less than Twisted Wave. 
But unlike Twisted Wave, it operates like a proper workstation. I just like to set people up so that down the road, they don't have to invest in new equipment that costs more money. So mm -hmm. if you're a person who likes to work in Twisted Wave, that's great. It's a, it's a great piece of software. As a matter of fact, at Dog and Pony, we use it not to record and edit jobs in, but we use it as a, a batch processor and a mastering piece when we're doing a sound for games. Hmm. Okay. But I have two complaints about Twisted Wave in the voiceover business. The first one is, man, you got to click a lot. Mm. And clicks add up, you know? There are little things that aren't done in a traditional DAW. Like, for instance, in Twisted Wave, if you have to cut a breath out, it mm -hmm. automatically takes the audio to the right of the breath and slams it up against the audio to the left of the breath. And now you have to open that space up to find that natural pacing again. Mm -hmm. that, that's a lot of clicking. The way that a DAW like Pro Tools or uh, we use Steinberg Noendo here at Dog and Pony or Reaper work is you cut that breath out and the audio stays where it is. The other thing about a piece of software like Twisted Wave is if your client says to you, hey, here's a piece of music. Can you put it under your voiceover? Well, to the best of my knowledge, you can't do that in Twisted Wave. Yeah, no. You I can't have more than one track open at a time. Right. But, but Reaper operates like a normal workstation. And so you just open up a stereo track, put the music on it, and ride the fader to mix that music underneath your voiceover. And is Reaper, what I like about Twisted Wave is a monkey could operate it. I mean, it's literally like, you know, play, record, rewind. Is Reaper as user-friendly? Well, in the realms of play, record, rewind, yes. But it also is a steeper learning curve. The yeah. upside is both on Reaper's website on, and on YouTube, there are a million, here's how to do this in Reaper videos, including a bunch of videos done by voice talent, get started in Reaper, including that guy I mentioned earlier, Theo Junkie. Any plugins that you recommend? Everyone should have a decent compressor and a decent EQ. Now, you can, in just about everything except Audacity, you can start with what comes with the program. But boy, I don't, the guys who wrote the ones for Audacity, I don't know what they're doing. Those are just weird. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Waves products. But there's some other great stuff out there. It's not hard to find a good compressor and a good EQ. But those are the two most important tools for a voiceover talent. A little bit of light compression and a little bit of EQ to clean up the voiceover audition uh, never hurts. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I am not a fan of normalizing your VO auditions. Um, I think that's becoming passe. Because Why aren't you a fan of it? Because in my experience voice talent use it as a crutch so they don't learn how to set a proper level so mm. then everything they just up. use the normalizer and everything comes up and, they, and it's it's like hitting it with a sledgehammer yeah and if you if you set a proper level and then you just learn how to properly apply some very light compression and a little bit of the eq to the voiceover what you will find is that even if you do normalize after that nothing moves, nothing changes because you didn't need to. And the other thing that happens is you find out that your auditions suddenly sound more like you, which is really at the end of the day, what the 
the client direction conversational means is they just want you to sound like you. If they set up improper level and then they hammer it with a normalizer, even if they took the time to craft a really lovely conversational read, everything becomes kind of loud and obnoxious and it's no longer a conversational read. Now you kind of sound like a, a DJ hyping Bob's used cars back in 1974. Totally, totally hear you. Yes, yes, and yes. So before we go, I want to ask, how can folks learn more about you? Dogandponystudios.net is our website. You can check out Dog and Pony Studios on Facebook, at D, N as in Nancy, P Sound on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Oh, you're and, on TikTok. Fancy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not good <laughs> at it yet, but I'm working it. And then uh, JMacVO is my um, Instagram for my voiceover work. Awesome. So I want to ask one last question. What are three, I don't know why I'm saying three, I'm just stuck on three today, unexpected tips or tricks you'd offer to voiceover talent, be it around technology and the audio interface or just being talent yourself? Well, any experienced talent get the first one, but especially for new talent, you've got to move. The emotional impact of what you're putting into your words comes through your body movements. You smile, right? We can hear a smile. We can literally say to a talent, hey, could you do that again with a smile? And the read's better because you can hear a smile. So, So get some good acting training. That's important. It doesn't matter if it's theater or voiceover acting training. Film acting is good too, but it's it's more subdued. You know, whereas uh, in my opinion, voice acting is more akin to theatrical acting. You kind of you want to push it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I despise groupthink. So stop going on to the Facebook VO groups and asking what the best microphone or interface or software is. Just stop it. <laughs> Why do you despise it? (laughs) Because of what we talked about earlier. Not every microphone is going to sound good on everybody. Right. And and I I don't mean this in in a mean way, but it's part of the human condition to get a little bit of knowledge and then go out and show everybody how smart you are. Right. So who are you getting the information from? They may not know much more than you. So just be careful. That, that kind of drives me bananas. But the, other, the last thing is when, when I teach the VO tech classes, I always tell them, I, I have a couple of rules that apply to everything uh, in the VO world for voice talent. And the first one is, if it sounds good, it is good. And the second one is, keep it simple. Oh, yes. Yes. We like to make things complicated, I think, we humans. We, we all do, right? But, but keep it keep it simple. And remember, if it sounds good, it is good. Uh, there's a voice actress here in Vegas, and she had me over to her studio to just take a look at it for her. This is a dear friend of mine. But I was looking at her microphone setup going, what is this? It, it was just so bizarre. But on that mic, she would be so sibilant that she set the microphone up and so that it pointed perpendicular to her and she talked across the front of it instead of talking into it but it sounded good so there's nothing wrong with that there was a an article on vo extra maybe a year ago and this gentleman was talking about how you you have to record this way and you have to set the mic up this way and you have to do this and you have to do that 
And I did a rant video against that article because that's dogma. It's, it's not true. It doesn't matter how you set up the microphone or anything like that, what gear you use, whether or not you use a pop filter, none of it matters. What matters is, does it sound good? Are you booking work? Then good. You did great. You are a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for taking the time. So talent can reach you again if they want you to listen to audio samples to, you know, because maybe they don't know if it sounds good. Can they send you samples? And do you do any coaching like that where you'll listen? I do. I do coaching and I will analyze somebody's samples. I charge 25 bucks to analyze a sample, but you get a pretty comprehensive breakdown and we, we do some back and forth. So uh, it's not just one email and me sending you back an emoji of a thumbs up. You can hit me up via the Dog and Pony website. The email would be info at dogandponystudios.net or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook. Is he not great or what? Thank you, John McClain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love his words, democratization of the tools. But now you can set up a studio for less than 10000 way less. And years ago, it would have cost you that to get a decent mic. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Guys, join me next week where we're going to continue this conversation about technology, gear, and whatnot with the one and only George Whittem. All righty. Until next week. Here's to owning our voices. 